Hi, I'm Tom Field, Senior Vice President of Editorial with Information Security Media Group. I'm talking about saber rattling among nation states and the connection to cybersecurity. My pleasure to be speaking with Tom Kellerman, CEO of Strategic Cyber Ventures. Tom, pleasure to talk to you again. Thank you for having me. So, Tom, when we spoke last December, your theme at the time was winter has come. And you had some pretty dire cybersecurity predictions for the U.S. especially. What is your theme now that spring has arrived? Well, I'm very concerned that American cyberspace is about to turn into a free fire zone with a multiplicity of actors. Um, this is in large part due to geopolitical tensions with North Korea, Iran, and Russia that are being exacerbated by the rhetoric from the administration, coupled with uh, these groups like shadow brokers releasing some of the best munitions from the armories of the CIA and NSA um, to the dark web to be widely utilized against American corporations and individuals. Given that, I'm very concerned because of the consolidation of data that is also occurring within hybrid and public cloud environments. Uh, many organizations are not choosing the best of breed public or hybrid cloud providers uh, when migrating to that environment. And as a result, um, they're dealing with more of a, a perfect storm as it relates to their capacity to be penetrated and or hacked given the, the lack of security that exists in, in many of those uh, infrastructures. Tom, that's a lot to think about. Let's, let's take this apart a little bit and start with this. How has the new President Trump influenced the potential threat actors both at home and abroad? Well, straight off the bat, his saber-rattling with North Korea and yesterday's saber-rattling with Iran through his Secretary of State will manifest a cyber reaction from both those nation-states. But what's important for the listener to be aware of is that the Iranian and North Korean cyber attack capabilities, whether it's the North Korean group named Lazarus or it's the Iranian group named Oil Rig, have become incredibly adept at modeling their cyber kill chains to emulate that of the elite Russian hackers and cyber criminals. In so much that they have actually perfected the art of operational security and maintaining a clandestine presence on systems and moving laterally through those systems with ease, which would allow them, should they have the resolve, to become more punitive and destructive um, as they have access to critical data and critical systems that they leverage integrity attacks upon. And so there's a direct connection between uh, geopolitical tension and cyber attack. And what's changed is the non-state actor groups and the state actor groups that used to be considered backwards and rogue have now reached a level of technical sophistication unparalleled in, in recent history. And in large part, that's due to things like and manifestations of uh, these dumps of cyber munitions into the dark web by groups like shadow brokers and WikiLeaks. So, Tom, we see the surface level tensions between the U.S., Russia, North Korea, Iran, as you say. What are we not seeing so openly that's happening on the cyber battlefield? Well, domestically, we're dealing with many, you know, there's a schism in American society that exists because of the election. And I wish it wasn't so. And I say this as an American patriot. But besides street protests and violence at protests and rallies, you're seeing a manifestation in cyber uh, where many Americans are turning to cyber as their outlet, and it goes beyond cyberbullying. Uh, but you're seeing more and more attacks that are becoming destructive in nature. You're seeing watering hole attacks that, that employ destructive payloads. Those are legitimate web pages on legitimate sites that are now pushing destructive payloads or, or, or ransomware. 
You're seeing more and more mobile attacks that are leveraging proximity settings uh, to allow the adversary to become omniscient and or telepathic to what the user is doing based on calendar or location settings. You're seeing business email compromise and watering hole attacks being used as secondary stages of attack in that after they've already compromised a victim corporation and stolen what they came to steal, they're using the brand of that organization against its constituency through uh, polluting the watering hole, through uh, leveraging business email compromise against the strategic partners and customers of the organization. And then you're seeing things like uh, wipers being more widely de deployed as a counter incident response or denial of service attacks being used as a smokescreen for large scale intrusions into networks. One of the greatest uh, travesties of a cybersecurity response of the US government in the past three years has been the fact that Operation Pawnstorm, which colonized wide swaths of the US DIB, federal government agencies and the financial sector, was never fully eradicated from those systems. In that Pawnstorm leveraged many, many backdoors and remote access trojans and command and controls on sleep cycles that were widely deployed across some of our most sensitive computer resources. And we've done an ineffective job of triaging the situation and getting rid of those footprints. And as a result, those backdoor systems, those own systems have been sleeping, but at any point and any day now, uh, access to those could be reopened and an adversary could choose to leverage destructive attacks against the integrity of sensitive data that controls critical infrastructures or that controls the way in which we exist in this new Web 4.0 environment. Tom, I think a lot of people share your concern for critical infrastructures and what can happen politically with the nation-state tension, but talk to me about the potential business impact for the enterprises that run our nation. Businesses need to realize that cyber attack is not just an operational phenomenon, an operational risk danger, but it's a reputational risk impact as well. But more importantly, that hackers in today's environment have gone from smash and, smash and grab to collective home invasion, and they now want to use your home, your network, your corporate brand against your constituency after they've stolen your crown jewels. And so more and more businesses are dealing with secondary and, and tertiary schemes of criminal conspiracy in that, yes, they suffered a breach last month. Yes, they, they were well aware of it. They triaged the breach. Now their website is out there attacking their customers and their strategic partners. Now their email servers are sending out batches of business email compromised spear phishing attacks against their outside general counsel and their strategic partners. This is the type of manifestation that we need to pay attention to because you're not gonna just get hit once. The burglar doesn't just rob you and never come back for more. The adversaries are trying to colonize the environment and more importantly, they're attempting to use your brand against your constituency from the purposes and the perspectives of your website, your email servers, and, and your senior executive social profiles. But Tom, we focused mainly on the nation states here. Given the first quarter developments this year, which has certainly involved nation states, who are the attackers that you fear the most in 2017? Well, that's simple. Number first and foremost will always be the Russian-speaking adversaries associated with the Pawn Storm campaign uh, that was discerned by Trend Micro in conjunction with CrowdStrike. Uh, those are the most elite hackers in the world, and they have already, as like I said before, colonized wide swaths of U.S. infrastructure, and they can attack us from within. Uh, APT-10, which is a Chinese attack campaign, I think will expand island hopping um, to go beyond the technical service providers of the world to, in to encourage attacks upon 
uh, MSSPs and the large cloud and data center operators so that they can tendril through those environments for whatever purposes they deem worthy. And lastly, this group called Oil Rig, which is a very capable Iranian hacker crew, I think will dramatically escalate its campaigns of integrity attack and move beyond the Israeli victims and move towards the U.S. in the coming weeks and months. What are the types of attacks that concern you the most? Uh, the number one is basically counter-incident response integrity attacks, attacks on, on the value of time, attacks on backup systems, attacks on uh, the validity of sensitive information and the nature in which more and more attacks uh, involve the escalation of privileges and the theft of credentials, uh, wherein organizations' reaction uh, at first glance is they're dealing with an insider threat when in fact they've dealt with a, a full-scale colonization event uh, where there's a scapegoat that's an insider that has the insufficient security on the remote terminal. Tom, as we sit here in mid-April, we have seen three drafts of a cybersecurity executive order, but we've seen no order issued. In your opinion, what cybersecurity leadership do we need to see from the Trump administration? Well, in the absence of any, I would say at a minimum, they can start fixing some of the problems in the federal government. And, and do so through the acquisition policy of the federal government. But to begin with, they should mandate that 20% of all IT budgets in the federal government be allocated to cybersecurity technological investment. They should also encourage and enforce the fact that anyone who conducts business with the federal government, including federal government agencies, hire a chief information security officer who is equal to or greater than a CIO because this is your defensive coordinator and they should not be reporting to your offensive coordinator. They should also expand the capacity for information sharing between the public and private sector to allow for limited actions of active defense upon critical infrastructures when done in conjunction with the US government. And they should actually modernize forfeiture laws and any money laundering laws to actually go after the, the monies and the capital that is exchanged for hacking services and goods um, that would allow for a funding mechanism to fund our efforts against uh, hackers through critical infrastructure cybersecurity investment. That has been done before, by the way. The, if most people don't know, the DEA and Department of Justice are fairly uh, sufficient, self-sufficient as regards to their own funding because of the expropriation of assets seized from narco traffickers and organized crime. So that's what should be done. You're closer to Washington, D.C. than I am. What do you see happening at the present time? There are too many positions that have yet to be filled. Uh, I don't see much emphasis being placed on the efforts of either increasing the authorities or increasing the budgets or increasing the personnel of the Department of Homeland Security as it relates to cybersecurity. I see far more focus on DHS to be positioned to deal with immigration enforcement versus cybersecurity enforcement as they've been chartered to do in many regards. Uh, I think it's high time that the Cyber Command be brought out from underneath STRATCOM to be an independent command and be allowed to take its gloves off to actively defend America in cyberspace, not domestically, but overseas, as for too long we've been taking it on the chin uh, from the Russians and the Chinese and now the Iranians. Tom, in your role with Strategic Cyber Ventures, you get the opportunity to see lots of different organizations in lots of different sectors. What are the biggest defensive gaps that you see right now that need to be addressed, given the types of attacks we've talked about? Well, fundamentally, I think the architecture is upside down. The perimeter defense and defense in depth architecture has been failing us for years, even though people have been investing at it. 
we have to re recognize and appreciate that the future of cybersecurity involves this construct of intrusion suppression. How do you detect, deceive, divert, contain an adversary, unbeknownst to an adversary, and then hunt them and get real attribution so you can force the government, force your legal counsel, or force some other external authority to react to them? In order to achieve that, I, I firmly believe that areas like Deception technology are well worth an investment inside of your firewalls to actually be able to deceive, bait, and trap an adversary in real time with zero false positives. I think things like user entity behavior analytics, like companies like E8, have the capacity to greatly improve your, your situational awareness and to discern lateral movement to allow you to react faster to events that are already ongoing throughout your information supply chain. And then adaptive Authentication, I think, is, is in many ways the future of solving this problem. We have to be able to secure and alter authentication to verified identities in real time based on risk or level of hostility towards that identity. What do I mean by that? I mean, if your user, your device, or your network has undergone a significant assault by a significant adversary, you need to assume that all credentials have been compromised. You cannot just then go change out the credentials. You have to force the users themselves to re-verify to get access to new credentials, and you need to force them through cloud infrastructure to actually add levels of authentication, real authentication, real two or three-factor authentication to them, much like Instead of just a one-time use password, why not just do a, deploy a selfie where you pick your nose and you have limited access to this sensitive network given the fact that I know that you just entered my network from a network that was successfully hacked by the Russians yesterday. Tom, you're a venture capitalist. What are the emerging technologies that encourage you and you're investing in now? I think, frankly, deception technology and memory augmentation are truly cutting edge as it relates to the deployment of creating shared risk for the adversary. Why should the adversary perceive um, reality within my network? Why can't I bait, divert, and trap an adversary unbeknownst to an adversary? Why can I not conduct what's called reverse search uh, and eliminate all of the voluminous uh, data that I'm currently going through from an incident response perspective to get greater clarity and granularity on the attribution of an adversary so I can create a response through legal means, through my attorney, or through law enforcement uh, against said individual who is behind it. It's true that uh, attribution is difficult, but it's not impossible. And I think technologies like polarity uh, really are cutting edge as they give you greater access to telemetry behind who's hunting you now. I would almost liken it to the construct of night vision goggles. Tom, we've talked about a lot in this conversation, but to me, the overriding theme is that we are in a world now with hotter nation-state tensions than we've seen in some time. Given this environment and the potential impact on the cybersecurity of nations and businesses, what are your recommendations for organizations to respond more proactively to this evolving threat landscape? Corporate culture needs to shift immediately. You should care about the safety and security of your customers, just like you do in the real world. Cybersecurity should be seen as a functionality of doing business, not an expense. Cybersecurity's budget should be funded not only by IT, but by marketing uh, through brand protection investment. Uh, in addition to that, you should be choosing your information uh, supply chain partners very selectively. You should be choosing your external general counsel not just based on the quality of the legal acumen and minds there, but also on the seriousness in which they take the security of their own networks. 
you should assume that the U.S. government will not be able to save you from what I've described today, and that you have to create a more secure, gated environment where you can react faster. Simply put, the answer, the ROI for in cybersecurity investment in the end of days will always be, what is the delta between you acknowledging and, and reacting to an event that has occurred on your system from yesterday to today? Decreasing dwell time is the ROI for cybersecurity investment, but cybersecurity investment in and of itself is directly intertwined with the future and the protection and the sustainability of your brand. And with that, I think from a governance perspective, we need to elevate the CISOs within organization, mandate that a 20% minimum be spent from IT on cybersecurity, and mandate the chief marketing officer with their digital marketing presence and their over-reliance on technology begin to appreciate what we're trying to do to protect them, but most importantly, to apply resources accordingly to the protection of the website, the blog, the mobile app, and the email servers themselves. There was a customer outreach occurs from. Tom, very well said. As always, I appreciate your time and your insight. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great day. I've been speaking with Tom Kellerman of Strategic Cyber Ventures. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.